Well, that puts a little pressure on me, huh? <laughs> you got to live up to that. Let's just pray and end and go home. How was that? <laughs> well, welcome. It's good to have you here with us today. If you were a guest with us last week at Easter and you made it back this week, we're grateful to have you here with us. Um, yeah, we are beginning a new series today uh, that we are calling Hunger Games. And again, it has nothing to do with the movie, but it has to do with the different things that we do, the games that we kind of play as humans to find fulfillment and fill the hungers and thirsts in our lives. So that's our launching today. Uh, a few months back, uh, the, our country celebrated one of its biggest days, uh, the Super Bowl. And, and on the Super Bowl this year, uh, one of the commercials, there's a Cadillac commercial that had a, kind of a popular TV actor and he's walking around his house. He's a really nice house, a pool, and uh, kind of a modern looking. And his family's sitting around on the inside. And he's going through this monologue about, uh, as Americans, how we work hard and have great innovation and have accomplished a lot of big things. Anyone familiar with the commercial? Okay, good. Four of us. So the rest of you, this is new. So, um, and, and he's walking through there and he's explaining kind of uh, why we work hard. And he says, you know, like, we went to the moon. You know what we did? We got bored. But we left our keys in the car in case, because we go back. And, and so he goes and he's talking about all these things that are great. And at the very end, he gets in his Cadillac and he, and he even says, you know, other countries say that we work too much and don't take time off. And he goes, but you know what? We do all this. You know why we do all that? For this. Then he drives away in his Cadillac. And then... Last month, Ford Motor Company came out with a commercial parody of that one. And a person who looked a little different than that guy was walking in shots that looked very, very similar to that, those shots. And the monologue was almost opposite. The person was going through and say, do you know why we work hard? We work hard because we want to change the world. Why do we do this? And, and, and this person, she goes through and, and talks about Wanting to be known for something and do something. So the conclusion at the end was different. It wasn't we do all this for a car, but we do all this to be known or to make a difference. Now, let's be honest. Both commercials and companies, in the end of the day, want you to buy their car, okay? <laughs> they want you to buy their car. And I'm not going to endorse one or the other or either of those commercials, but what those commercials illustrate is something that is true of all of us. Both of those commercials illustrate something that I know that all of you want, and it's something that I want as well in life. And that is more. <laughs> we all want more of something. It might be have more cars or a bigger house or a better view. It might be bigger vacations, better vacation, vacations. It, and it also might be on the other side. We want a, a, a legacy that's left behind. We want to make a difference. We want purpose. We want success. We want a healthy family. But the truth is all of us want something. And we thirst and we hunger for things. So both of those commercials touched on a nerve of all of us. Because we all want something more. Now, I would even say I don't even think that the things they're talking about are necessarily bad. Although I think we do need to take our time off and enjoy, and, and it's not all about just pursuing more and more stuff. But having stuff, of course, isn't a bad thing. I, I, I don't know about you, but I'd be okay with a house with a pool and the view of the beach. I'd be totally fine with that. I also do want to have a life that makes a difference. 
It's something that I think I would like to watch my own funeral one day and not have them say, well, okay, he's done. Let's go eat. I want them to say we're glad he existed. (laughs) He made a difference. There was a purpose to his life. I want that. And that's okay. But this morning we are starting a series that's going to last a couple months. And we're going to look at those desires and hungers in our heart. But we're going to kind of look at it from the lens of what does it mean for those of us who are followers of Christ? How do these hungers change when we seek after knowing God more? Now some of you in here might say, hey, I'm just seeking to know if if God is real this morning. And for you, we are so glad you're here. And our prayer is that you would see Jesus in new light today. But I believe that all of us, the more we understand who Jesus is, the more those hungers and thirsts in our lives are actually redefined. And they're changed in light of who Jesus is. And that's really what this series is going to be about for the next two months. And this morning, uh, we're going to kind of just introduce the series and talk about some of the things and claims that Jesus has without getting into them too in-depth, because we'll be doing that over the next few weeks. So pray with me as we begin. God, we thank you again for this morning, and I pray that right now that you would speak to me and through me, and and Lord, teach me as I teach. And let us be a community of people who are seeking after things in life that make a difference, that matter. Um, and all of those, Lord, let them be rooted in who you are, and help us get a higher view of you, so that all of those hungers we have are redefined in light of who you are. So we thank you and we give you this time now. In your name, amen. As we start here, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles, if you want to follow along, to the book of Exodus, actually in chapter 3. And so that's the second book in the Bible. It's towards the beginning. We're going to get there in just a minute, so start making your way there. But before we get there, I want to talk about, in John chapter 8, there's this little story about Jesus who's interacting with some of the religious leaders of the day. And the religious leaders had a problem with Jesus. Because he's coming in with a lot of respect, and people are hearing his teachings, he's teaching with authority, and and he's becoming well-liked. There's rumors that he's the Messiah. He's teaching things and having a different spin on the law than which they prefer and so he gets in this little debate in John chapter 8, and he starts talking about, you know, if you have, your sin actually makes you a slave in life. It, it has a grip on you, and it holds you, and, and you can be set free from this sin. And he says, if the Son sets you free, he starts referring to himself. If the Son of God sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And then the debate kind of sparks up, and the religious leaders start saying, well, what do you think, you're greater than the prophets? The prophets kind of led us to the law and told us how we should live. And so they start talking about the prophets. And, and then Jesus says, oh, the prophets were pointing to me. Even Abraham longed for my day and was glad to see it. And they said, well, oh, now you're claiming to be greater than Abraham? Abraham, for the Jewish people and the Hebrew people, is known as the father of the nations. And so they said, Jesus, really now you think you're greater than Abraham? And Jesus makes a statement that in English, it's lost a little bit. But he says, oh, greater than Abraham. He says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. And the response to that 
was the religious leaders went and they grabbed rocks. They found rocks laying around the temple. And they went to go kill Jesus and throw the stones at him. They said, he needs to die. Did you hear what he said? He just said, I am. Let's go kill him. Now in our context, in English, we might hear that and say, okay, I think I can figure out what's going on, but that doesn't really seem all that offensive. <laughs> but in the, world of, in the Hebrew world, Jesus made a huge claim at that moment. At that moment, Jesus uttered on his lips the name of God that they were not allowed to utter. And he said, before Abraham was born, I want you to know that I am the Creator God. You think Abraham's great? I am God. Now, it doesn't make sense in our context. We're going to get to that in a moment. But we know that that's what he said, because we have it. And we know that's a response because they went to stone him with rocks and kill him. Which the punishment for uttering the name of God, claiming to be God, was death through stoning. So if any of you have ever heard someone say, Jesus never claims to be God, read the scripture. Jesus never says, I am God. Maybe you have said, no, I've read the Bible. Jesus never says, I am God. I challenge you to read it from the perspective of Hebrew and to know the Hebrew language. He says, I am God in this statement. He claims the name of the Creator God and they wanted to kill Him for it. So what does that really mean? Before Abraham was born, I am. What does it mean when we say the Hunger Games, searching for a true satisfaction in the great I am? That sounds very churchy. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So let's unpack that a little bit and try to understand it. And now we're in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, there's a story of Moses, this great prophet named Moses. And, and at the time, the Israelites were in bondage in, in Egypt. They were the slaves of the Egyptian empire of Pharaoh. And Moses actually grew up in the co- court of Pharaoh and at this point has fled and he's now living out in the desert. We believe probably the Sinai Peninsula. And Moses is wandering and he has this kind of very strange day. He's wandering and he looks up and there's this bush that's burning. It's on fire. Now that in and of itself is not a big deal, but there was something strange about this fire. There was something different about it. The scripture says that the fire was not consuming the bush. So maybe it didn't look like a fire. It looked, I don't know what it looked like. But Moses saw it and when he saw this strange bush that looked like a strange fire burning, he did what I think most of us would do. He said, I need a closer look. So he walked over to check that out and think, I know I'm in the desert, it's really hot, this just must be in my mind. (laughs) And he walks over to the bush to see why it's burning. And then he hears a voice, as if his day wasn't strange enough. (laughs) And the voice says, Moses, take off your sandals, for the place that you are standing is holy ground. Now a burning bush that has a strange kind of fire is talking to me. Okay, it's a little bit of the scene from the Three Amigos with the singing bush or something. I don't know. It's just this moment that had to feel very bizarre. And, and, and it goes on and, and you realize, wait, this is God speaking to me. And God says, Moses, I've got a plan for you. The plan is this. I want you to go back to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to set my people free and you will lead my people to the promised land in Israel. Yeah, sounds like a great idea, God. 
So all the Hebrew people right now are enslaved in Egypt. We're the ones who basically are building their whole infrastructure. You want me to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let us go? Yeah. Right. Good. Great idea. It'd be a little bit like going to the CEO of Ford and saying, hey, um, tomorrow I want you to set all of your workers free. Give them their pension the rest of their life and set them free. Give them freedom. To which Ford would say, um, we have a job to do. There's no way. So he's asking him to go to Pharaoh and ask to set his people free. And Moses says, okay. And he gets in this debate with God with all the reasons why he's not the right guy. Things like, you know, have you checked out this guy? Maybe he could do better. You know, I mean, at this point, he's trying to get out of it, right? And eventually he kind of says, okay, fine. And we see in verse 12, Moses says to God, okay, all right, I'm with you. I'm going to go to the sons of Israel. I'm going to go to my ancestors or to my fellow kinsmen, the Israelites, the Hebrews. And I'm going to go to them and tell them, um, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. They're going to say to me, what is this God's name? What is this God's name? Now, so Moses is saying, hey, I know what they're going to ask when I tell my people, hey, um, God sent me to you. The first thing they're going to say is, oh yeah, what's his name? Now, how many of you have ever cared what the name of God is that much? I mean, in the ancient world, names were a very big deal. In our world, they're not such a big deal. How many of you walk through your life knowing what your name is and thinking everyone must know who I am based on my name? They know my personality. I mean, I'm Ryan. Everyone knows what that is. I don't even know what it is. But, so, I think it's Little King. So, yeah. And considering I'm the lowest on the totem pole in my own house, I don't think it works. So, um, but yeah, so I don't, you don't go through thinking this is my identity. This is who I am. The only time in our culture we really care about names is when you're waiting to have a kid when you're pregnant, right? Is anyone in here uh, pregnant today? You want to make an announcement? Let us know. All right. Okay, no one, all right. Or you're just not telling us. That's fine too. Okay, so when you're pregnant, especially with your first one, you care a lot about names, right? I remember when we were uh, pregnant for the first time, we're thinking through names, and, and every name you come up with, you're like, oh, what will, how will people respond to, the, to our kid with this name? What will this name communicate? What will this name what? And, and, and you also notice our culture doesn't really care about names until you are pregnant and you tell people what you're thinking about naming them. Everyone has an opinion, don't they? <laughs> Everyone has an opinion. You say, oh, we're thinking about naming them this. And they go, mm. I remember my dad said with one of our kids, I won't say which one, when we were saying, say, no, we're going to name our son this. And he goes, uh, everyone I've known with that name... <laughs> I haven't liked any of them. <laughs> like, all right, well, we'll try to t- redefine that. I don't know. But names, they, they don't really mean much until you're waiting to name a child. I remember with one of our sons, I'm trying to spare them a little bit. This will, you'll figure it out. But um, this, so my, na- my wife named two of the three. Uh, she, she let me name one of them. But they were all names we had talked about and agreed upon. So I didn't go off the chart a little bit. Um, so they were, we had a pool of first names, a pool of, of middle names, and stuck with the last names. So we had that. And, and when this son was born, and, and the nurse says, hey, what's his, what's his name? And so I gave the name, and the, his first name is kind of more like mine. It's like an Irish name. And then, so the middle name um, honors my wife's Japanese heritage, so it's a Japanese name. And, and so I named him, and he has a Irish, Japanese, German Jew name. So... 
And, and I didn't realize at the time that names had to flow. I just thought, oh, I like this name, that name, and last name. But the nurse and my wife both looked at me like, really? <laughs> That's the name you're giving your kid? <laughs> so, um, and then we had another child, and she said, I'll take it from here. So, um, <laughs> but, but, but names... Names in our culture, that's really the only time it matters. But to the ancient world, names meant everything. Moses meant the one that's drawn out of the water. Abraham is the exalted father, the father of nations. Jesus, Yeshua, means Savior. Names were a big deal. So when Moses says, hey, God, okay, I will go, but they're going to say, who sent you? Which God are you talking about? So what's your name? And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God responds. He doesn't say, really? You want to know my name? Okay. He says, okay, here's my name. I am who I am, he said. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now before you get too upset, he wasn't speaking English, okay? <laughs> so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But this is, in Hebrew, it's, and, and we translate it, I am who I am. Some would say it actually is, I will be that I will be. No matter how we look at it, it's formed from this derivative of this word that's hayah. Yeah, it kind of sounds like the karate word, right? Hayah. Not quite perfect Hebrew, but it works for us. And it, 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 we believe it has this connotation of meaning to be or to exist. And the form in which he used there was, I will be that I will be. In fact, just a couple verses earlier, he uses the same word and says, Hey Moses, don't worry, I will be with you. Yeah, with you. And in this he's saying, I want you to know that the God we're talking about is the one who has always existed, who will always exist, who causes all things to exist. Moses, the name that you want to know is the name of the Creator God, the God over all who is through all and in all and through all things are made. Moses, there is no other name. There is not a God that could have more power than the God that exists. See, he was living and working in this world of, of the Egyptians where there's a sun God and there's a rain God and the God of, uh, of fertility and all these things. And he says, no, 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 I am the God. You want to know? This is my name. And he went on and said, I am, I am the God of your father Abraham and of Jacob and of Isaac. And in there, in our, in our Bibles, in the Hebrew Scriptures, it has this word, the Lord, I am the Lord of them. And, and that's capital L, capital O-R-D in our Scriptures, which is the word Yahweh translated. Yahweh, we believe, is also a form of this Hayah, to exist. So the name of God, the name that we know is a name above all names. That's what he said. That's who is sending you, Moses. And in that name, it also meant I, at this moment, am beginning a new chapter in the life of my people. And you can know that I'm the God who will cause us to exist. Who's going to begin a new journey with you. Now, if you fast forward to John chapter 8 and you have... Jesus saying before Abraham, I am. He said, before Abraham was born, I am the God that existed. 
Of course Abraham's not as great as me because I created him. He longed to see the day when I would walk and come and be made flesh and live and exist among you and provide a new way for you. Now, keep in mind too, when Jesus was speaking, their world, the world of the Hebrews, when Jesus was alive, was very similar to the world of the Hebrews when Moses was alive. See, the Hebrew people under Moses, they were in slavery in Egypt In Jesus' time, they were not enslaved, but they were oppressed by the Roman Empire. They were longing for their own freedom. They were waiting to be delivered by who they believed the only one could deliver them would be a Messiah or the anointed one sent from God. So the existence that they had at the time of Jesus paralleled their existence at the time of Moses. At that moment, what they needed when Moses existed is they needed God to show up to break into history and to do something miraculous to provide freedom and to lead them out of their bondage. The time of Jesus, what they needed is someone to show up and to deliver them out of the bondage and the oppression that they were facing. You see, at the time of Jesus, though, they thought that it would be exactly like with Moses, that it would be a military campaign, that they would be delivered from the Romans. But Jesus was coming and saying, no, 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 this is something far greater. I'm going to deliver you from the bondage of your own sin that entraps you, the hungers that ensnare you in your life. I come to give you fulfillment that you can find in no other name, but I am. And of course the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus for this. Because he was stating, everything you need, I am. The one who exists. The one whose personality and power, who owes nothing to anyone. The God who never changes. From whom all power and energy in the universe flows. And to whom all creation should and will conform its life. To the great I am. The name above all names. That's what he proclaimed. So, for us, as we look at the series, how does the great I am actually satisfy the hungers and the thirst in our lives? How does a great I am make a difference today in our world? We're gonna, I'm just going to throw out a few areas, and if you'd like to follow along in notes, they're in your notes today. A few areas that I believe that the great I am can satisfy our hungers. And this today is just to get us thinking for the rest of the series. So the first category of them, I, I have it written down as spiritual hungers, or you could think of it as hungers of the heart. What are the ways that the great I am fills the hungers of the heart? Or what are some of the hungers of our heart? Well, the first one is this, is a hunger for eternity. Look at in John chapter 11, verse 25 to 26. And I have all these verses up here for you because we're going to go through them quickly. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now he's not speaking here of physical death, saying that if you believe in me, you will never physically die. He's talking about a spiritual existence in eternity and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you realize that all of creation, all of humanity, one of the questions that we have asked since the beginning of time is what happens after death. See, I'm, I'm kind of one of those nerds that I actually, um, I love history books and reading about history, and I can kind of curl up in bed at night with a book on history. I know. I mean, who can't, right? It, it's so great to read about ancient Rome when you're getting ready to go to bed. Um, 
But one thing that I've noticed in every culture throughout all time is people have asked that question, what happens after this? See, spiritual hunger that all humanity has always had is a hunger for something eternal. Now, even skeptics who say, I don't believe in anything. I believe when we die, we're done, annihilated. It doesn't matter. I've talked to people like that, and it's interesting how much their view of eternity changes when they face death or when someone they love dies. See, when you lose someone you love and you don't believe in afterlife, all of a sudden you think, well, one day we'll see them. Or they're looking down on me. I'm like, wait, how are they looking down on you if there's nothing? It is interesting that something inside, there's a spiritual hunger that we all have for something more. What's beyond the grave? Jesus says, I want you to know in me that I am the resurrection and the life. You can find fulfillment in Jesus Christ, that hunger for eternity. What's another one? A hunger for forgiveness. Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, I am the way through salvation, for forgiveness. Another characteristic of all cultures that I have ever studied in all religions and all non-religion is people want to know, uh, find a way to be forgiven or to make up for some sort of justification for the wrongs that we do. See, there's something inside us, I believe, that wants to be okay even with our mistakes. We need something to make up for the mistakes we have made. Some religions and some philosophies will say, okay, the way we do that is just make sure your good outweighs your bad. Kind of that good angel and bad angel, that imagery. Some religions literally say there's a list of all the bad things you've done and all the good things you've done. All you have to do is beat it by one. (laughs) Because we all want to be justified. We all want the mistakes to be erased. Some want to find it in doing good for others. Recently, uh, my wife and I had a friend of ours who, who kind of helped out uh, uh, some Christians with, with, with an event in their life, and, and she did it kind of as a favor. And, and the comment she made to my wife was, there's no way I won't get into heaven now because I did this great deed. Someone who's kind of exploring, not even sure if she believes in God. But what does she want? She wants her good deeds to matter to make up for the things that maybe she has done wrong. We all want that. And Jesus says, oh, okay, you want that? You want salvation? I am the way. In Jesus, we find that that need inside, that hunger for forgiveness is found in Jesus. And we don't have to work after that. It's good enough what Jesus has done. Another one is this. I believe that we all have a spiritual hunger, connection. We all hunger to be connected with some sort of divine, right? In in our context, we want to be connected with God. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verse 5. He says that I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's saying, if you abide in me when you're connected to me, that there's a whole new world of possibilities that open up. Throughout history, mankind has sought after a connection with God. The French philosopher Pascal, I've mentioned it before, is famous for saying that we're all created with a God-shaped hole in our lives. Now that doesn't really make sense, except for those of us who, who in our lives have lived and found fulfillment in following Christ. You look back and you say, I knew something was missing, but I didn't know what it was. And saying, 
I had no idea it was a God-shaped void. I just know I had a void. And when you encounter the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, you find that there's fulfillment that wasn't there before. I believe we all have that desire to be connected with the divine whether we know it or not. Some even would say you can find it within yourself and they work and work to be self-realized and to say that somewhere inside I can find God within me because there's this desire deep down to connect with something more than just us. Another connection I think that we have is to be seen as right in the eyes of God. I don't know about you, but I, I would like God to look at me and see that I all my accounts are clean and I'm right in the eyes of God. Paul writes it this way. Speaking of how can we be right or how can our lives matter to God? He says this, hey, you're not, we're not adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. In other words, hey, in and of yourself, you're not adequate in the eyes of God. Again, Paul, thank you for the pep talk. <laughs> but then he says, but our adequacy is from God. In other words, from Jesus Christ, you can be adequate. Your life is enough. When he looks at you, he sees someone who's forgiven. When God, those of us who accepted the forgiveness of Jesus, when he looks at you, what he sees is someone who is perfect and right in his eyes. How many of you woke up in the, this morning, looked in the mirror with your hair all squished and your breath smelling great and said, man, I probably look right in the eyes of God right now. <laughs> but he looks at you and says, you are right in my eyes because of what Jesus has done. We have that desire and it's found in the great I am. Okay, moving on. Another section of kind of desires that, that humans have. I wrote emotional or, or mental hungers. I would even say hungers of the mind. Think of that. Things that we think about that we're hungry for. Again, back to John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way. We looked at that. And then he said, I am the truth. Mankind hungers for truth. We all want to be, uh, we all want to believe something that is true, don't we? All of us want to say, okay, what I believe in and follow is true. I don't know many people are like, no, I'm fine with following something that's totally crazy. Yeah, I don't care, whatever. Maybe we don't care as long as it's true. <laughs> but none of us want to believe a lie. We all hunger for truth. We want to know what is real truth. C.S. Lewis makes this great argument talking about how we all hunger for truth. And he says, you know, when you look at Jesus' life, Jesus claimed to be Lord of all. So C.S. Lewis kind of says, okay, so there's a few options here. There's one that Jesus is Lord, that that's truth. The other option is that he's a lunatic. That he thought he was Lord, he believed he was Lord, but the truth is he's not. So he's just crazy. <laughs> and the third option is Jesus is a liar. That he knew he wasn't Lord, but he told everyone he was because of some sort of egotistical kind of weird little play on, on humanity. But so there's really three options. Anyone who claims to be Lord, he's either Lord, a lunatic, or a liar. <laughs> and Lewis goes on, and we don't have time to develop the argument, but essentially through that argument and saying, how could history be so changed by this person if he was a lunatic? How could all of his followers in the ancient world believe this so adamantly if it proved that he was just lying to them? The logic doesn't match up. The one conclusion he comes to, and I tend to believe in it, is just on logic alone. Jesus is Lord, and that is truth. We hunger for truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. 
Again, we don't have time to get to all that today, but we will in the weeks to come. What's another hunger of the mind? I think we have a hunger to be cared for. Does anyone ever have a hunger to be cared for? I mean, I, we, we have a six-year-old, and I, I love picking up the six-year-old and having those little arms wrap around you and, and, and you know, carrying them to bed at night and saying, hey, I, I need a drink of water, and you get them the drink of water, and you just do it without thinking, and I think, wouldn't that be great life? Doesn't that sound great every once in a while? When your legs get tired, someone picks you up and carries you, how great would that be? <laughs> I mean, going to Disneyland and not having to walk to everywhere, that would be great. <laughs> Being hungry, having someone like, boom, food, awesome. We all want to be cared for. We all want someone to care for us. Jesus says this in John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to bring you life. For I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And in Hebrew, the word shepherd is one who watches over, or one who looks at you, one who cares about you. And Jesus, he says, I'm watching your life. I care. I actually care. I think another thing that we all long for is approval. As humans, we want, to, we want approval. It's something that we all want. We all want to be accepted and approved. But I don't know if you've noticed, but trying to win the approval of people, that's kind of exhausting, isn't it? Because anytime you earn the approval of, of one group, you can rest assured there's a whole other group that doesn't approve of you. <laughs> Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, I'm not seeking the favor or the approval of man. Or he says, am I seeking the favor of man or of God? Or am I striving to please man? If I were still, try, still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, he's saying, one thing that I want in my life is approval. But I had to make a decision. Who am I, whose approval will I go for? God's or man's? And he says, I live my life as a servant of Christ because I know that I'm approved there. I can't live my life looking for the approval of man. In Jesus Christ, we can find acceptance and approval when we say we live for the great I am and not for everyone else around us. We seek the approval of God and God alone. Now, it's okay still if you want to have people approve of you, but don't live your life for that. Jesus says, live for me. Gain my approval. I would argue that when that happens, you probably find that you're in favor with more people, but it's a different sermon. The next section, we've got to move through these pretty quickly. Physical hungers. And these aren't just like physical, I'm hungry, but tangible things that we hunger for in life. Jesus says this in John chapter 6, verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And he was comparing himself to manna with the story from the, old, from the Hebrew scriptures when God provided food from heaven for the people. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I come down to supply your needs. Now, this is not saying that anytime you're hungry, all you have to do is say, wait, I follow Jesus. I'm not hungry anymore. Great. That's a fantastic diet plan if that worked. <laughs> Wouldn't it be? But he's not talking about that. Although I do believe there are times in life when God will meet our physical needs when you need him. Sometimes. I know one time when we lived in Israel and we moved back to the States and I was working a part-time job and at a church plant. I mean, we were rolling in the cash. And... Um, and uh, 
my neighbor was working for a food bank for Saddleback Church, and it was before the holidays, and he said, hey, we, we just gave out a couple hundred boxes of food, and we have one extra box. Would you like it? I'm like, sure. And it turned out to be a, a big box of frozen meat. Different meats, different types of meat. That sounds gross. But it was. And, and I remember thinking, how cool was that blessing? Because we weren't eating much meat. And I remember thinking, we have meat in our spaghetti. This is so great. No more vegetables. I mean, I have three boys. This was like, you know, we just, God blessed us. I mean, there are times I really believe, we just think, we are so grateful for that. That was a big deal. But sometimes he's not just saying, oh, I'm going to show up and meet all those physical needs. But let Jesus will say, he becomes enough and he redefines the things that we think we actually need. You know, last year we actually gave up having cable. I know. How can you give up having cable, right? I like ESPN and watching sports playoffs, which are now all on cable. Monday night football, cable, everything. And so we gave that up and we looked and said, we can then be able to use some of that money to support a friend who's a missionary and and, and do other things. And, you know, you save all that money. And and I didn't really want to give up cable. But then you say, let Jesus redefine what matters in your life. Now, is having cable bad? No, it's not. It's not. You don't have to go cancel. But I'm so glad that I'm not stuck, like, wondering what's behind that door in Storage Wars now, you know? (laughs) I'm going to wait 15 more minutes to find out what's in that box. I didn't know I cared. (laughs) Let Jesus start to redefine what you actually think you need. And that's what I, I believe when Jesus says he'll fulfill our needs. I believe that a lot of times that means all of a sudden we realize all the stuff we think we need, we don't need anymore. Let that be redefined. Okay, we've got to go quickly. Next one is this. And, and Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. Another thing that happens is we learn contentment. Paul says, I don't speak from want, for I've learned to be content in every circumstances. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In every situation, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, with having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, I know that when I'm wealthy and I have all kinds of stuff, or when I'm poor and I'm barely getting by, in every situation, I can do all things through Christ. Because when my focus is on the Alpha and the Omega, the great I Am, the creator of the universe, the one who sustains all things, I can have great wealth and it doesn't make me arrogant or prideful or greedy. And I can have uh, very little and it doesn't make me envious. Because my life is defined by the great I Am and not by stuff. I learned what contentment means because I can do this through Christ. Jesus defines who I am. When we understand who the great I Am is and we have a bigger view of God, all those things don't really matter. What you have and what you don't have. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23, it says this, The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. How great... Is it when you can go to bed at night and you sleep satisfied? You say, I have what I need. I can hit, my head can hit the pillow and I can sleep. When our lives are defined by the great I am, the God of all, we have all we need. Finally, the last verse here is in Hebrews chapter 13, 5 through 6. It says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you. I will never forsake you. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? 
One of the other hungers we have in our life is a hunger for success, to make the things that we go after work. We want that to accomplish things. We want, maybe it's money, maybe it's just to have a successful family, to raise your kids and have your kids only make the decisions you want them to make. We seek after that. (laughs) I wish I could make my kids all just do what I want them to do. I wish I could make them make their beds. I mean, but we seek after things. We want accomplishment. We want all these things. And it starts to define us. And Jesus says, you know what? We need to be free. Or the writer of Hebrews says, we need to be free from the love of money. We need to learn what contentment is. And I believe that means beyond money. He's speaking beyond money. Because God will never leave us or desert us. Because we are following Hayah, God, the one who exists, the one who is. It's the great I am. He is here. He was here. He will be here. And it changes how we live. (laughs) I am preaching it. I'm trying. (laughs) But I have a great way to end. Because I want to keep preaching, but I found someone else who ends, ends this really well. And it's in form of of a poem. So we're going to end our time uh, with this poem and then one last song. So look up here and he'll finish the thought. Before fluorescent formations ever fomented the foundations of your firmament, that is, before the stars in your sky ever entered existence, before the light knew what bright meant, before the sky had a clue where up went, before either were ever invented, I am. Before terrestrial perennials terraced your planet's territorial terrain, that is, before the plants in your ground were ever ordained, before roots were ever arranged, before fruit had a taste, before either had a name, I am. Before the ocean had a bowl, before the surf discovered its role, before the grave was made sheol, before man had a soul, I am. Before Eden was installed, before the garden serpent crawled, before the tree, before the fall, I am. For I am truth, before there ever could be false, I am perfection, before there ever could be false, I am. By all, in all, through all, all, in all, and I am to be called, I am. Before the curse usurped the ground and drove you away from the divine. Before you felt this separation between who you are and the intention of your design. Before you tried to abide in sources of death in order to find life. Before you combined yourself with any form of pleasure you could find. Before you felt so alone. Before you felt so dry. Before you tried to run away from my side. I am. I am the vine. Before you became acquainted with pain and death. Before you ever tasted loneliness. Before disease destroyed what you possess. Before eyes could go blind. Before ears could go deaf. Before you lost the one you love to the grave's unyielding cleft. I am. For before mankind stopped living so that they might just survive. I am the resurrection and the life. 
before you engaged with the enemy, waged in sin with intensity, before you drain my supremacy, inflame my jealousy, before you chose greed over my adequacy, lies over my accuracy, pride over my advocacy, before you chose your sinful self over me, I am, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, for before you were a spotted lamb, I am. For I am the way before you could ever run away from my call. I am the truth before you could ever walk away from my law. I am the life before you could ever turn away from my cross at Golgotha's skull. So I beg you now to withdraw. Withdraw from your sin, for I am your only temptation. Withdraw from yourself, for I am making you a new creation. Withdraw from your pride, for I am ruining your reputation. Withdraw from your self-righteousness, for I am your only mediation. Withdraw from your hopes and dreams, for I am your only expectation. Withdraw from your life, for I am your crucifixion. For before all time, I am all sufficient. Before all time. And designations to my name alone did the cosmos listen For I am Jesus, I am the Word, I am Elohim, I am the Lord I am the Christ, I am Messiah, I am Creator, I am Jehovah Jireh I'm the Lamb of God, I am Emmanuel, I'm the begotten Son I am the Holy One of Israel I am the first fruits, I am the Prince of Peace I am the Bridegroom, I am the King of Kings I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Jacob, I am I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I'm the Holy One worthy of praise, so withdraw into my side, withdraw and be made mine, withdraw and with me stay, withdraw into my way.